that has become something of a tradition that on Monday mornings at really ridiculous hours Pacific time, I get up in the morning and I appear on Bill's show, but Bill is uh, taking a week off, as it were, a week or two weeks. How, how much time do you actually get off here? Well, it's interesting. Uh, just to keep everybody in the loop, I had a family who, uh, family member who has tested positive for the Rona and we had contact on Saturday. The test was Sunday morning, and so I am waiting. Earliest I can test tomorrow morning, eight o'clock at my doctor's office. With a uh, negative test, I can go back to work as soon as the negative results are known. So, with that, yeah. The, the, the upshot of all this is there's no Monday Bill McLive. So that's exactly right. I didn't have to get up at three in the morning, which was nice. Which I do every day. Thank you very much. Well. There was a time when I did too, but not anymore. So I do recall. And then you had the fortune of moving to afternoons, which yeah. was really cool. I'd give my eye teeth to do that. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite the decision to, to move to afternoons, and I was I was happy with it. But uh, uh, no doubt, it it, uh, it worked out pretty well this morning because it gives us a chance to kind of sit on how do I say it? in in my parlor this week. I guess uh, that's true. We, get we do, are we get to do it in my studio this week. So I uh, guess that makes me the fly. That make me the spider. That's the question. <laughs> so, Bill, not in Cleveland. No, <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Yeah. There is a lot of stuff happening this morning, and what be, a weekend to miss a Monday on, yeah. man! It's killing me. Truth be told, we actually communicated yesterday when we found out about this. We were going to start this, but but, but the circumstances were such that we kind of had to to back away yesterday, which actually turned out pretty good because this morning. It is even more amazing, I guess, some of the things that are happening in Afghanistan. I don't know what you've seen this morning. You're three hours ahead of me, and I just got up, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, I guess. I've got to be honest with you. I've been dealing with my doctor and with the human resources people at work. Right. And and with my remote access from home, which is oddly disabled at the moment. So um, I've been dealing with all that. I have seen nothing yet this morning. So... For those of you not keeping up, and I can't imagine who you are, but I imagine there's maybe some of you out there, Kabul has fallen to the Taliban. The American flag came down from the embassy. There's a, there's a heartbreaking photograph on Twitter. I think I saw it on Twitter of the soldier carrying the flag. Um, for those of us of a certain generation old enough to recall 1975, there's a lot of eerie similarities here. Would you agree? You're seeing them all over Facebook, whatever social media you're watching. And yeah, this is being labeled as Biden's Vietnam. I don't know that it, I, see, that's the part. I don't know if he it doesn't is. get whole ownership though. I mean, no. we've been there 20 years. Right. And see, that's the thing that I've, I've I said last week is I, what was our mission? Our mission was to get Bin Laden. We've, we've turned this into a 20 year occupation that had nowhere to go, but wherever it is that we are. And at the end of the day, I don't know that I don't know that it would have made any difference ten years ago, fifteen years ago, tomorrow, or ten years from now. I don't know that this would have ended any differently in the broad scheme of things. And that's I think that's what's kind of bothering me here. Um, that and watching. Have we failed all along to take into account the culture of these other places? Were we becoming games? Well, I think we've certainly failed to learn any of the lessons of Afghanistan. I mean, <laughs> Afghanistan is a graveyard. I mean, it always has been. 
Could have learned that from the Russians if we'd have paid attention. We could have learned it from the British. We could have learned it from the Russians. We could have learned it from a lot of people. But at the at the end of the day, the biggest lesson we didn't learn was our own from Vietnam. What was the freaking mission? What were mm -hmm. we trying to accomplish? You can't fight a war with rules of engagement as if you're a policeman. It doesn't work. No, it, it can't work. And I don't know. I, I've long been an advocate of ending these these wars because there's no strategic value to them. But – now we're now we're being told by and I consider myself to be a hawk, Bill, but now we're being told by hawks on both sides that this was a huge strategic mistake. I, I watched some congressman this morning tell me that Taliban 3.0 is going to be even worse than Taliban 2.0 was, which was, of course, worse than Taliban 1.0. I don't know if I believe that or not. I really don't. But at the well, same even time, even if so, what's the strategic importance to the United States of that part of the region? I mean, what business do we have there if those folks, if we believe in self-governance right. and those folks aren't willing to, to rise up and put an oppressive regime under control, we do it for them, we hand it over to them, and they don't do anything to hold it, what are we supposed to do? Well, and, and that's the answer. I don't know. I mean, how, how is this any different than 1973 to 1975 when we said to Vietnam, okay, it's yours, you got it, and – it blew it. It imploded and mm -hmm. ended with the same helicopter, basically uh, taking off from from Saigon as taking off from Kabul. And I think that's what's got people kind of I don't want to say freaked out, but it's got people kind of concerned about this. And, and you know, like you said, I don't know really who to blame. Uh, we had to go into Afghanistan in 2001. We didn't have a choice. We had to go get bin Laden. Right. Did we have to bring down the government? Did we have to occupy the plane? I don't – again, I don't know what the strategic value of that was. I think it sort of happened and we all kind of went, now what? And 20 years later, we're still saying, well, this this was how it was going to end and and, and that's the problem with it. So, Well, forget the money for a minute and, and all the investment that went into that and all the equipment that's left behind and, and, and all of that. Look at the cost in, in American lives and American blood and injury that we have left over there and appear to have abandoned what we were allegedly fighting for. Twenty so Was it 2,400 deaths, combat deaths in Afghanistan over the, over the years? Which, okay, it's not the 58,000 we had in Vietnam, but at the same time, that's 2,400 families that have lost someone. Absolutely. And, for what? And and that's the question you have to ask yourself because, again, had we gotten bin Laden in Afghanistan, at least you can say, well, we accomplished that. Now well, and, and, you know, and, and here, here my mind goes off on this sidetrack. I've got a nephew who served uh, tours in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He came home with debilitating lung issues because of the burns of the, of the, uh, the, the human waste right. and the medical waste and all of that stuff. And he was actually one of the first cases with a doctor out of uh, Vanderbilt that documented this actually occurred by his military service. And it was a heck of a fight for him to get through and get the disability after he had done his job, done what he was asked to do. And, and it, it's just, well, it's, it's amazing. Though. It's heartbreaking. Well, and, and here's the other side. Dave, when you went into the Navy, you went in with a purpose and, and the right mindset. You know that at some point you may be called upon to push that button you talked about last week on the podcast mm -hmm. and, and that that was your function and that surviving and, and that that camaraderie and that fellowship you had with your fellow sailors 
was important and you were doing the job for God and country. And we went through a stage, going back as early as when I went in the military, we're enticing people to go in with education benefits, with sign-on bonuses and the like. And our, it, it's like when it, the economy gets tough, people start applying for jobs as policemen because it's a steady job. It's always going to be there. It's got benefits. And early retirement, even if the retirement is not what it might be in another career field, they look for steady employment. They're not in it for the right reasons. They're in it. I mean, supporting your family is the right reason but not being in it because it's a passion, because it's what you know you were built to do. And, and it's, we've created a different kind of military that is more of an employment program. And, and I don't mean this to be disparaging at all, but in many cases, the, the folks who come in on the lower end are coming in for the benefits, not for uh, the commitment to do what's right. That's sadly very true. I mean, I, I it's, live it's in horrible a, to say. I hate I, it. I live and, in a and heavily, I love the men and women right. who serve. You know? well, I live in a heavily military area. And I'm not going to say it's easy to tell that, nor am I going to say it's universal, but there, I have run into those people who, why are you even here? But truth is, Bill, we had those people when I was in, why, why are you here? You don't want to, all you want to do is complain about things. Why, why did you, why nobody put a gun to your head and said, join. So it's kind of like that thing. the, The problem with this morning is watching what's going on in Kabul is not just the eerie similarity to Saigon in 75. And I remember that very well. I was glued to the TV. I think I was Mm -hmm. 12 when that happened. Um, And just really becoming aware of the world around me. I'd grown up in the Vietnam era. So to me, the Vietnam War was this constant droning in the background, you know. It was a fear for me from like 12 to 16 that I was going to be drafted and sent over there. And, you know, I spent my junior high and high school years thinking, which service do I sign up for to have the the best training, the best ability? Don't wait and be drafted. Do right. what you got to do. And you there know? was a lot of that. There were a lot of folks who did that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we grew up with that fear as kids, watching those kids who were five, six years older than us go, uh, yeah. being shipped off and then coming back. If the ones who were fortunate enough to come back, a uh, guy who lived up on top of the hill for me was just, uh, he was messed up and, and drugs. Yep. Uh, other things, which he ended up going in the military because of his little drug issue before. That's when going in the military was you go in the military, you're going to go to jail. He right. went to the military. Right. And, and it, it just exacerbated what he had going on already. It was crazy. So watching this this morning, Bill, I, th- I think for me the most stunning part of this was, do you remember, I, I remember this very well. Do you remember the 727s taking off from Saigon? Cameron Bay and wherever else they were, and they were flying to the Philippines. And the the pictures, they, I don't know that there was any video in those days, but the pictures of the guys falling out of the wells, the wind, the, the wheel wells. Yes. Have you seen the news out of, of out of Kabul this morning? Out of Kabul I this have morning. Not. We've got C-17s trying to take off on the runway in Kabul, and this wave of people, almost entirely male, by the way, which is causing some other problems. People are saying, well, where are all these women and children? because the runways are just full of men. And the C-17 is basically just saying, I got to take off. Either get out of the way or don't. And as it takes off and it's flying away, you see people falling out of the wheel wells. And it's Man. just, it's, it's, I, I don't want to say it's stunning because I guess in a way you kind of expect it, but at the same time, 
your, your mind goes, how can this be happening again? Well, the answer is very simple. We made literally the same mistake again, which is we had no real idea what we were going to do beyond kill bin Laden, which we did, but not in Afghanistan. So I don't know. I, it's, it's a weird feeling this morning. It really is. And am I, am I going to back away from my position that we do, these wars should have ended years ago? No, I'm not going to back away from that because they should have ended years ago. But, but that comes back to clearly defining mission objectives and accomplishing them. Right. And when it's not clearly defined and you're handcuffed in accomplishing what you're told the mission is anyway, you just you don't get results and you end up in a quagmire. Whose fault is that? I mean, because for years, Bill, we OK, Donald Trump, like him or hate him, and I don't really care which it is. But Donald Trump ran on a platform of we're going to end these wars and, mm-hmm. and got elected and then didn't end those wars. Why not? Because every time you turn around, some politician was on TV somewhere telling us how bad of an idea this was. So what's the answer? I mean, do we just stay there forever? Does, does Afghanistan just become the 51st state? I, I, at what point do you draw the line in the sand and go, so to speak, and just go, look, it's your country. It's your problem. If you don't like the Taliban, shoot back. Yeah. yeah. And again, we invested 20 years in trying to get people to do that. And how many of those 2,400 dead Americans were killed by people inside the wire yeah who were there ostensibly learning from us and helping us. Yeah. And, and and all of a sudden they turn and you've got Americans shot in what should be their comfort zone if you can have one in a theater of war. Right. Tw- 20 years, what is it, $2 trillion, I think, in Afghanistan. It's, it, it's probably more because so much of that what, during the Bush years was done off the budget. So we, mm-hmm. we'll never have a full accounting of this. And it's just, I don't know, it's, I'm, this isn't, I feel a lot like I did in 1975 with concern, appalling emotions and that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, as I've gotten older and as I understand a bit more about Southeast Asia and how we got involved there, I, I don't I don't know how to say this, Bill. I don't have a problem with our initial involvement in Afghanistan. We had to do it. But I'm with man, you there. somewhere along the line, we just lost the bubble, as they say. And when you lose the bubble, the ship goes down. Well, and, and again, goes back to clear definition of mission objectives and, and a clear cut path to meeting those and then ending the engagement when, when the mission's accomplished. Right. We, we won and, in Europe. We, we, well, we, we never left Europe either, did we? Well, we didn't, but that's a different circumstance, too. Um, because of the continuing threat that was there, and we were a deterrent to that. Threat. Right. And we were welcome, at least for a while, in those places. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, when I was in the Air National Guard, I went to um, Rhine Mine Air Base, which is no longer there, in Frankfurt. <laughs> and the first briefing you got when you stepped off the airplane was terrorism happens here, and here's what's going on, and here's what you got to watch out for. Yeah. Uh, um, but it was a great opportunity to see how we worked not just with military folks, but, but with the civilians in the area and what that meant to those countries where those bases are. It, it's almost like a, a foreign aid program in addition to being a protective thing. And I wonder if that's, I, I look, we're Americans. We like to help people. We like to <clears throat> think of ourselves as kind of the big, the, the older brother, not big brother, but the older brother where we, 
where we're protective and we're helpful. The older brother who's a couple hundred years younger than the younger brothers that's helping. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> the bigger brother, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's it. That's We're the big brother who made it to the NFL. Right, right. right. So it, it's a little unnerving today as I watch what's going on. Where, where do you think we end up with this? What? Give, give me your give me your next month's worth of predictions here. What do you what do you think happens? Oh, oh you'd ask me something like that, wouldn't you? I would. Um, continued bickering back and forth between the sides of whether it was right or wrong on every news station, twenty four hours a day. Uh, as far as resolution, I don't know. Did we get our people out, or did we leave any Americans behind over there, embassy personnel or family or anything? I, I don't know. Not that I know of. Yeah, me neither. Um, and what about the people who actually did help us and were fighting for their own country over there? How many of them did we leave behind? How many interpreters that risked their lives and their families' well-being to try to help make their country a better place? Were we able to help any of those folks out? You can't help people who don't want to be helped. Right. You know, the goat herders in the mountains don't give two hoots about the politics. They want to, you know, herd their goats and grow their poppies and, you know, survive till the next day. Yeah. Well, there's uh, there's a news report this morning that the the Biden administration, sorry, almost said Bush administration, but it's Biden administration has announced that there are several military bases in Texas at which they will house um, Afghan people that helped us, whether they're okay. translators or families or whatever. But it's not clear who those people are. As I said in the videos of the runway. It's almost exclusively male. You don't see any females there at all. Now, it may just be the camera angle. Who knows? But here's what I think is going to happen, Bill. You ready? Okay. Yeah. We're going to have two days of wall-to-wall news coverage, by the end of which this will all be Trump's fault. Somehow or another, this will all be Trump's fault. You know, if Trump had done what he Didn't promised the president to do, try to do that yeah. just yesterday? I'm sure he did. Yeah. By the end of this, this will all be Trump's fault because he didn't do what he promised he was going to do. And he weakened stuff, and he said we were going to – by the end of this, was will all be Trump's fault. And then by – what is today? Monday? This is Monday. So by Friday, <clears throat> the news will be back to Delta variant and how people who are anti-vaxxed are killing people and causing all this stuff. And, and, and Afghanistan is just going to fade until the next, next direct terrorist attack tied to people in Afghanistan. The next reason to go engage. Yeah. That's kind of I, I, I don't know. I don't. Number one, we're not going to get away from the Delta variant and the Rona because that's the only thing that's driving the agenda. Not, of not those a single story yet on my morning news. I've been watching my morning news for fifty-one minutes. Not a single, not a single coronavirus story yet. Really? Yep. That's what are they covering? Just well, this? The Seahawks getting beat. Um, the weather. The uh, most of it has been Afghanistan, Kabul, and traffic. Because <laughs> we are, have, you, are your, is Ben back in school yet, or has school started? School. Whether he, he's he's not in school, but today starts a they have a bridges to middle school program. It's like a one week practice. Uh huh. He starts that this morning. So I in person, get, yeah, I got to get him on the bus at eight o'clock. So masked up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to continue to be in the news. Uh, I think you're right. Um, so I, your local news not covering the national stuff then? No, they are other, co- than, th- other than Kabul, yeah, yeah, which is okay. very unusual. And and I just I just think that really the vast majority of Americans are so disconnected from what's happening in Kabul anyway 
that mm-hmm. if they can find a way to blame it on Trump or Republicans in general or conservatives or even anti-vax people, they will. But otherwise, it's just going to go in the background. It's just gonna... See, now we got an ACDC concert, most popular band T-shirts on the news. <laughs> man, it must, they think it's a slow news Monday, man. That's horrible. <laughs> That's, they do. Hey, listen. Because we had a bunch of stuff that we were lining up to yeah. talk before you came on the show today. And then once you were there and, yeah. and we were going to be busy. But thanks to a potential exposure, I'm sitting <laughs> at home earning some time off. Yeah, got to do that. Hey, it's Plausibly yeah. Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast, along with Bill Mick Live. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Whitey. And this is Hank. And you can listen to our podcast, Two Pine Talk, on all your favorite podcast sources. So come check it out where we talk about two beers and and everything stuff. (laughs) Listen to Two Pine Talk on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Plausibly Live. It's me, Dave, along with Bill Mick from Bill Mick Live, who is on medical emergency leave, I guess. <laughs> you know, that sounds like I had a debilitating injury or something. This will make it sound good, man. Well, yeah, yeah. Also known as a potential exposure to the rota. Right. Which means you got to, you know what? And they placed corporations in a very precarious position. You know, the vaccine manufacturers don't have any liability, but by golly, they let me come to work and I spread it to the entire staff, which is very small at our place anyway. Then lo and behold, we got three radio stations off the air, plus all of our our websites and everything else. And and so they're they're in a position where, hey, take all the precautions, stay home, get tested. You you test negative, you can come back. But I have to wait for three days at a minimum after potential exposure to take a test. So I go first thing tomorrow. So have you seen these kids in England, the story, story in England where these kids have figured out that if, they te- if someone tests positive, they, get two, they close the school for two weeks. So they figured out how to spoof the test. With like Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola or something? right, soda. They, yeah. yeah. Is that brilliant or what? See, your parents told you that stuff was no good for you. Yeah. But you find there's a silver lining around every cloud, apparently. We're panicked here. Cammy's – Cammy is one of those people that will – I love my wife dearly. You know this. But I she, do. she will tell you constantly, I'm not going to obsess about this. I'm not going to obsess about this. While she tells you about it for the next three hours. Right? She's obsessing about not obsessing. Exactly. So sure, her latest <laughs> obsession is she's absolutely certain they're going to close the schools again. And, uh-huh. and you know, how so are we, why aren't you the one obsessing? Because I remember you really didn't like that. I'm the one that, you know, because because of the way things work, I'm the one that has to stay home with. Yeah. And now we have the grandkids, too. So it's going to be a real it would it would be a major imposition imposition. That makes, that makes it sound like I hate everybody. I don't. But uh, it would be it would be a huge thing if all three kids had to be out of school for even two weeks. It would be. You know, it's bad. Do you have enough bandwidth to carry it? Yeah, I actually do. Um, <laughs> okay, that's good. A couple of years ago, when they were living here, we had the the snow cop snowpocalypse in 2018, and and they were home for two weeks because of snow. And that, I mean, I, good lord, 
I start to understand Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining a little bit. That <laughs> I bet you do. Oh, that's funny. So let's uh, uh, let's let's change gears. Let's get out of the depressing stuff and talk. Let's talk sports a little bit. Did you watch any uh, NFL this weekend? You know, I have caught a little bit on the replays on the NFL channel. And like you were saying on Facebook the other day, this is not real football. No. Don't get excited about your team. Don't get excited about a win or a loss because they're trying to evaluate people and see who they want to keep around to sit on the bench while the stars play. Right. Stars aren't getting out there right now. Uh, well, to any great degree. No, anyway. they're not. The, the Seahawks game up here. Of course, every half the news up here is Seahawks stuff, which I look, I hate the Seahawks. So at any rate, they, they, they got, they got slapped by the, the Las Vegas Raiders, but they, uh, nobody on the team actually played. Nobody, nobody that's even projected starter, first string or second string played in a game. So, who cares? I mean, it's it's you know, Denver's the same. Oh, Drew Locke went seven for eight with 153 yards and a touchdown against the Vikings' fourth string defense. Yeah, exactly. Jesus, I I told Rod yesterday I could have done that 20 years ago, but I heard that actually. I did hear that. Yeah, but not anymore. But so there's that. I I don't like that. Um, the uh, the 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 corn game. That's what I'm calling it. The corn game. The Field of Dreams game. Did you? Have you caught any of that? Uh, only what I've seen oh. in pictures with headlines. Man. And they're, they say it's the best viewership MLB's had in a long time. I watched it, Bill. I watched the entire game on uh -huh. Fox Network with Joe Buck calling it. So that tells you right there, it had to be, you know, you know how I feel about Joe Buck. So, Yeah, and see, I don't mind him as much as, as other people seem to. Maybe because I remember his, what, grandfather. Right, but he's not his grandfather. He's not, but out of respect for the great job that Jack Buck did for so many years, one of those voices like Kurt Gowdy that you grew up with, you know? Yeah, um, Bob, Men yeah. Bob Menefee. I give Charlie him a Jones. little bit of a pass. Yeah. And uh, and what's his name in Atlanta? Skip. Skip Carey. Yeah. Um, God, those were the days, weren't it? With TBS, Braves games every day. You yeah. know what? They, I, I could give two hoots about the Atlanta Braves until they're the only team I could see every night. Yep. And uh, well, you remember Glenn Hubbard being part of that yeah, team? Yeah, I do. I got to know him when I was umpiring minor league baseball a little bit. He was coaching for the Braves organization in the South Atlantic League, and he was coaching first base one night when we're doing a Friday night television game in Savannah, Georgia. And the Green Jackets are playing the uh, Augusta Braves, or no, Augusta Green Jackets playing the Macon Braves, and he's coaching first base for Macon. And he says uh, it's a seventeen to three ball game. We've had home Jeez. runs hit into the to the hot tub in the right field wall. It was a beautiful little stadium in Augusta, and it's like, hey, Bill, what are you doing when this is over? I said, I don't know, but I hope it's coming quick. He said, me too, <laughs> you know, uh, and. Uh, and, and yeah. I said something to him about hoping tomorrow night we got a 2-1 ball game. Well, we exited, and I had the plate the next night. So we exited uh, through their dugout <laughs> after that closing game of the series. And he said, Bill, you called it. We had a 2-1 ball game that they won. And as I'm going through his dugout to get to our locker room, he said, Bill, you called it last night, 2-1 <laughs> ball game. Good job. It's like, very cool. Just to do that with Zach, right? It sent him text in the middle of the game. You know what we need here is an 18-inning Followed by, 
I'm glad you got to see him when you were in yeah, Oklahoma. That That's was really cool. That was really cool getting to see him. Man, so. we saw him starting out as a kid. Yep, and we did. you could tell he was dedicated. Yes, we did. And he has grown <clears throat> enormously. And I, I really think there are – it should be the Red Sox just knowing him, but some major league team – Ought to pick him up because he's he can paint a word picture of baseball that's out of this world. So I watched the the corn game, the the Field of Dream games. I was uh, the movie is fantastic. The the movie, the Field of Dreams movie. It, it's not one of my slobbering favorites baseball, but it's a pretty good baseball movie. Yeah, okay. I don't watch a lot of sports movies. Oddly it, enough, it's not bad. A- again, it's not so much about baseball as it is about life in general, I guess, and sure. dealing with pain and that sort of thing. But, but man, they did it right. Kevin Costner leads the teams out onto the field from the corn, just like in the movie. And it was, I've been uh, seeing the glowing headlines and, and you know what? I think it's cool. It's great. Baseball needs something like that. And they also need to get rid of that electronic umpire. They think they have in the box around the strike zone. <laughs> or they need to get rid of Angel Hernandez. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, or C- what's the other guy? CC. What's his name? CC something. Not Sabathia. Uh, terrible on fires. Anyway, all this to say, I was in Oklahoma a couple weeks ago where I saw our friend Zach and got to go to Brigtown, which is, of course, where the University of Oklahoma is in Norman, mm-hmm. which if things work out, Bill, will be where I'm going to school. I don't know if I told you that or not. Um, I'm in the process of negotiating <laughs> to attend the University of Oklahoma as a remote student. Mm-hmm. But there are some drawbacks to college these days. Number one of which is the cost and <laughs> having to wear a mask while you're in a, in a well, Zoom see, class. Would, yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, I'm not doing that. But yeah. Anyway, they uh, as it as it turns out, and and most people don't know this, but I I really love the University of Oklahoma. I always have. My grand I promised my grandmother back in back before Saigon fell. Bill, I promised my grandmother I would go to OU. And I, and I never did. So that's kind of a promise thing. But um, when I was there a few weeks ago, it was, it was really cool to go on campus and see things. But so you said me Watch this, the owner to overturning wagon roll across the football field. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just had to throw that in there. Can they even do that anymore because of the because of the COVID? The Rona, the Rona means you can't drive a wagon anymore, right? Yeah, well, you know, the wagon's wrapped in a mask. It's okay. No, I just wrap it, <laughs> just put some plexiglass around it, and it'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. So you sent me this article, which I found fascinating, but probably not for the same reasons about the University of Oklahoma and their women's volleyball team. So the first, yeah. the first thing here is we have a women's volleyball team. The second is the women's volleyball team at the University of Oklahoma has a apparently a conservative girl on the team. Yes. Who has now sued the University of Oklahoma because she feels like she's being persecuted. Ostracized is a good word. I was going to go with persecuted, but ostracized we'll go works. With that. Yeah. She's, um, she feels like the coaches of the women's volleyball team are mm, flaming liberals, I guess, who have told her that she can't be herself. And they, they have decided that they are going to kick her off the team more or less. They're going to redshirt her or force her to move to another school because they don't like her political opinions. Is that the gist of what you got from the article? That is the way. And, and I only scanned the story briefly <laughs> because I normally do the deep dive in the morning before the show. Right. Which you but, didn't do today because you have the Rona. Since I didn't have a show. I don't have the Rona. Uh, it's like, Unclean, unclean, unclean. unclean. Uh, 
I sent that to my sister with a picture of a Halloween leper's mask. Right. Um, well, I read, anyway, I read her lawsuit. I read, I read the actual, the paperwork and I'm okay. So here's the thing there. There's something here that stood out to me and it. I think, I think it caught your attention, which was they feel like they can't, how did they word this? There's a word that they use claim. They can discipline players for their politics. And they use a word here, team unity, right? Uh-huh. So. And in the athletic effort, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But that needs to be the focus. Stuff outside of sports. And I get that you're trying to guide and lead young people, men or women, and, and help them develop into the adults that they're going to be. But that doesn't mean shaping their political points of view, right? Yeah. <sighs> Let's see. McLaughlin, who's the player, was now branded as a racist and a homophobe by her coaches and teammates, according to the lawsuit. She was given the option of transferring, keeping her scholarship as a student, or redshirting for the season, practicing later. The team argues that they have the right to discipline those with differing views, quote, in the name of team unity. Now, this this that phrase strikes me as just chilling. I mean... I read an article this week about the Biden administration wanting to – there's a quote in this that's that's just really uh, weird to me, which is the Biden administration wanted the president to move gently with regards to COVID mandates and mask mandates because the people of the country, quote, weren't ready for the strong arm of government telling right. them what to do. Right. Cammy and I had a long discussion about this this idea about – they nobody could possibly believe that these masks do any good, but everybody's wearing them now. Not everybody, but a lot of people are wearing them now because they feel it makes them feel like they're helping, I guess. Well, you know what it is? And, and look, if I go back to work, I may wear one in the hallways for the comfort of other people, not for me or not because I believe it does anything, but it keeps them from spazzing out. Right. But that's you, the thing. And as a courtesy to someone else to keep them from panicking, maybe. Not as just a courtesy, be... Bill. As unity. Well, okay. Yeah, and, and mandate is different than doing it out of respect for somebody. You know, it's different. Right. But this is – our discussion about this was, you know, this is the way they're going to get people to do things. They're going to convince – they're going to start convincing people that if they don't participate, if they don't – if they're not part of the team, if you're not part of the team unity, what are you? You're the Taliban that's got to be eradicated. Yeah, and it, and and it's masked in virtue. Right. So <laughs> you run into this thing where, you know, in my studies along the way, I came across a fascinating thing the other day that talked about how tyrants, how dictatorships – convince their people, convince their, their constituent body of, of people that behavior, i.e. wearing a certain piece of clothing, saying a certain phrase, reading a certain book, whatever you want to call it, is you're trying to get people to conform, but you don't say, I want you to conform. What you want to say is unity. This isn't conformity. Mm -hmm. It's unity. And by making unity, you turn it into this great patriotic cause mm -hmm. that nobody even realizes then that we're just doing what they told us to do. I'm waiting for you to start describing this as something you hate people doing. 
well, there's a lot <laughs> just more, say it. There's a lot more than just those people. So yeah, <laughs> but, I got you. But the the bottom line here is, while the University of Oklahoma, look, she posted her post on the ESPN board. All right, so. You could make an argument that if you go on there as a player, you're representing the university. I, I can see that argument. I don't know if I agree with it or not, but I can see the argument. You want to do it on your personal pages? That's one thing. But when you start posting, story. Yeah, when you start posting on other people's materials, do I think the university is right to do this? I, this goes back to the cheerleader thing. Just tell her she's not good enough and cut her. I, why, or why? or you, you, you say, hey, look, you can have your own opinion. But when you post it on an ESPN platform, of mm -hmm. all things, it immediately connects you to this university right. and this program, and it brings discredit to us in that crowd. Right. And you have an obligation not to do that. That's reasonable. Right. But And that's not to say that there aren't chilling things that the University of Oklahoma is saying, which caused me to think to myself, do I really want to go to this school? Um, but at the same time... Well, that's any institution other than one right. like Hillsdale or, or many of the religious institutions across the country that stick to their fundamentals. Right, which is not uh, where uh, I'm going, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, it, it's like any other university. You know, my beloved Mountaineers, weird stuff comes out of Morgantown all the time because of the researchers and the things they say or whatever's going on there. <laughs> because it's West Virginia, that's why. Sorry, well, you know, I said that you wrong. Gotta, but West, limited God, gene Virginia. pool to work with when you're doing genetic studies. What can I tell you? <laughs> Sorry, I said it wrong. West by God, Virginia. There, thank you. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what concerned me about that story was it, it wasn't that this volleyball player might be suspended or forced to transfer or whatever because of her opinions. It was the open acknowledgement that we don't want conformity. We want unity of thought. And in my view, unity of thought is exactly what – that's what college is not about. Yeah, it, it means there's no thinking going on. Right. As, as George Patton once said, if everybody's thinking the same thing, nobody Ain't is thinking. nobody thinking, yeah. Well, it's Amen. great to talk to you, man. It's, uh, I certainly hope you enjoy your time off. I hope the test is negative and Thank you can you. get back uh, to it. But You know what? I feel great. But then again, I would. Uh, the exposure was Saturday. Here it is Monday morning. Uh if I start showing anything, it won't be till at least tomorrow. So, right. and, and you know, I, I had folks urging me to go get the at-home test and, and check it now. Well, it's just too darn soon, and right. that's why I, first thing this morning I texted my doctor. Fortunately, he's a friend, he's a listener, and uh, and we talk very regularly, and he does a great job for me, and I appreciate him a lot. I texted him at seven o'clock this morning because I knew he'd be up and about, and uh, said I need to know what you recommend and. The company guidelines aren't real clear, and they're playing defense, as corporations do, and probably should in this environment. Yep. And, and he sent me a nice thing back, and he said, I wouldn't test you without symptoms, but because of the company policy, uh, first day to test you is tomorrow, and I'm going in first thing in the morning and uh, get that knocked out. And Just if, a great guy. Yeah. But And if it's negative, are you good to go at that point, or do you have to wait for a second negative test? Because some, some people up here are forcing you to have two tests a week apart. Uh, no, I'm good to go. And, and I talked with corporate HR this morning as well, because we have to report not only to our local management, but to corporate HR. And I talked to the girl at corporate HR, and she said, you get a negative test, you're good to go back without a mask. Said, now, you may want to wear one for people's comfort for a day or two. just For unity, case. Bill, for unity. For unity's sake, by golly. And uh, But we'll make that determination. And then I was having some tech issues 
um, with my remote login for the office. And uh, we were going to try for just to me do the show from home with my boss coming in and running the board for the show. But with my technical difficulties not being completely resolved, that's not going to happen. So we'll replay Joe Pags again tomorrow morning from tonight's show. And hopefully I'm back no later than Thursday. If I can get a quick result on Tuesday, maybe I'm back Wednesday. So we'll see. That works for me. <clears throat> and if not, Dave, it's always I'm fun, always man. Here, Never so. enough time. Yeah. I'm always here. So if you have two weeks off, we'll uh, we'll fill in the blanks. How's that? But you know what? If I had some, and and the cool thing is, um, they took my board op slash producer away two years ago. The night, at, the morning after LSU won the national championship with Joe Burrow at quarterback and Randy Moss's kid at tight end, and. Um, I've been flying that show solo, yeah. which is, and, and it's, it's no fun. It's not easy. No, I can tell you got to have eight arms and, and attention span. That's like two seconds because there's always something moving. Right. And, and, and there's always the, the, the ultimate distraction in radio, <laughs> which, which I know the Bill ambush doesn't want, caller. which Bill doesn't yeah. want me to talk about, but the ambush caller. Absolutely. I hate callers. Uh, I hate Yeah, you. I know you do. I know you do, but you know what? Um, I enjoy them for the most part other than, I give them Wednesdays to bring up anything they want, anytime they want. That's why we do the wide right. open Wednesday. I know you did it. You kept it when I left Modesto. And, and I hated and it. And you took over there. And I hated um, it. I know you did, but you kept it because it gives them the vent, the outlet for stuff that I may not get to. Bill, you are know, you there? Fo- Bill. Hello, is <laughs> yeah. it me, Bill? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's aggravating. And not having a call screener yeah. to get that ready to go makes it a, a less quality sounding show. And that's frustrated me from the beginning. The good news out of this Rona experience this week is that it's got the big boss thinking we need to at least have you part time help to be able to run the board if you're if you're away from the office. Right. I hope to negotiate that into give me a board op three hours a day. Just give me the three hours a day so we can make the show the quality it ought to be. And I, and I don't know if that'll happen in the current corporate environment, but I would love to. It, it would just make the show so much better. So you know I'm available, right? Just saying. Uh, <laughs> If you could physically run those things like, like, from I Silverdale. To, I used to be able to do that. I've, I've done baseball games from my home. I've, I used to run the board for Zach from home. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. Well, see, you, Can be you, done. Don't, you, you don't have the physical connection to my terrestrial thing. That's the problem. It's called the internet, Bill. Yeah, my board doesn't run off the internet. It runs off of wires and, and bubble gum like MacGyver. Yeah, but there are ways around that. Anyway, Bill Mick, you can catch him at BillMick.com and on WMMB AM, 1240. FM. Yeah, 97.3 FM down in Melbourne. 92.7 Jesus. 1240 and 1350. The iHeartRadio app. Yeah, that's the most place to get him. And on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. Yeah, that's... Where you also find, plausibly live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast. That's true. You certainly do. Bill will... uh, And WTF. Did you see the logo I sent you this morning? I did. WTF. Welcome welcome to to Florida, Florida. baby. (laughs) Bill, it's always good to talk to you. You too, brother. I look forward to it next time.